All right, today's scripture is found in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. As we pray, God, we come before you this morning, worshiping you, thanking you that you are the word who is with, us, with God and who was God, and we fully worship you, Jesus. Lord, you are good, you are holy and awesome, and we pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Good morning. That's, the, I think, the first time in New Life Manor to history I've been able to say good morning. It's always been good afternoon, but good morning. Thanks for being here. The title of, of this sermon is God is Coming. And as we are about to enter into a special season, we look forward to this date, December 25th, where we look back and say God has come, and then we look through it and say God is coming again. How many of you are glad it's going to be Christmas time very soon? How many of you are glad it's already Christmas time? <laughs> the first, I, I checked my Facebook a, a couple of weeks ago. It was December, November 5th. When I saw in my feed the first person of, of my friends that said that they were glad Christmas was here, it was the, this post, uh, November 5th, Christmas music, exclamation, 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 thank you, exclamation, 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 thank you again, Q102, exclamation, 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 and that was from Steve Heron in the back there, excited, it was... <laughs> <laughs> excited it was Christmas time and we are about to enter into Christmas time it's 42 days left before Christmas we're about to enter into the the 40 day stretch before Christmas and we as Americans we call it the the Christmas season or the holiday season and uh, I guess if you look back in church history been called over time. If you look in the East, it's called the time of nativity, and Christians throughout history have fasted before Christmas, and that's, that's usually not what we do as Americans, but that's one way of doing it. Uh, another way of doing it is, is calling it Advent and celebrating the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and Advent um, is a really, it's a, it's a good word. It, it means uh, the coming of a very important person who we mean, of course, Jesus. And so we in this season, looking towards Christmas, it's not too early to begin getting into the Christmas spirit because this whole season that we have, these days leading up to Christmas, we can at the same time look forward to Christmas and remember that Jesus has come in the past and he died on the cross. And while we look forward to Christmas, we can see beyond it and believe and hope that he is coming again. 
It's called a juxtaposition. It's a fun word to say. Uh, there's lots of juxtapositions in our world and literature. It's when two things that really don't belong together are together, like looking back and seeing Jesus and looking forward and seeing Jesus coming again. A famous juxtaposition is in, a, in literature, a, a book called uh, Tale of Two Cities. Anybody read it? couple hands, but I imagine almost all of you know the opening lines. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That's a, a, a juxtaposition. Well, how could it be both? How can we say, yeah, it was the best and it was the worst? How can we say we're looking back and, and worshiping Jesus, that he came in the flesh, God, and at the same time, looking back, we look forward and say he's coming again. It's a juxtaposition. There's, a, I guess, a modern-day juxtaposition is uh, you see it every day that you drive your car, but you probably don't see it. You don't remember that you see it. It's on your side view mirror, and it says this little riddle. It says, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And I remember uh, a road trip becoming aware of that little saying, maybe for the first time, like it being talked about. I was like, why are we talking about this? This is weird. But it was a long road trip. I lived in Utah at the time. And it was just a short weekend, just Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And me and some Christian friends from church, we decided, let's go all the way to Chicago for the weekend and drive all the way out there. Horrible decision uh, in that short of a time, by the way. But we drove all the way there. We saw some friends that had just moved there. And we were driving back. And at the end of a road trip, you just, you're, you're tired, you're eating junk food all day, you're grumpy, you're mad at everybody in the car just because, and the driver says, what's that mean anyways, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear, and, and one of the, my friends in the backseat says, it means the objects are further away, because they appear closer in the mirror, so they're actually farther away, so it's, it's a warning, and the, the guy in the passenger seat was like, are you insane? Are you kidding me? It means that they're closer together. It means that the objects are closer. They're closer than they appear. It's like, no, it's, it's they're further. And, and it almost ended up being a fist fight in the car as to whether the objects were actually, it was saying that the objects were more far away than they were in the mirror or whether they were closer in the mirror than they appeared. And it was, it was just an all-out brawl. And sometimes, somehow it got relieved into a quiet roar of a conversation. And, and from there, it just, you know how road trip conversations just kind of go into the other things. And it ended up being a pretty fascinating conversation, one that I will, I will remember for a while because we got into talking about, okay, what about the road of life that we live on, and we're all in the car of life. It's a very road trip conversation. And it's like, we're looking out the mirror, out the, excuse me, we're looking out the windshield and seeing what is going to happen. Everything is in the future. We're looking forward, we're moving forward, and we as Christians, as believers, which we all were in the car, we said, well, we're looking forward and we're hoping and, and we're waiting for Jesus to return. But in the rear view mirror, we look back and we see at the same time that we can see forward, we look back and we believe and we hope on the cross that God himself came as one of us, that he, the one who always was and always will be, came as one of us. And his coming is good. And so this season, as a reminder of, of, of what I'm saying here today, that the sermon is called God is Coming, but it's at the same time we, we look forward to Christmas and we think back that he has come and we look forward and we are reminded that he will come again. Let's look at the passage that uh, Justin read for us. It's uh, a passage that 
I had to memorize uh, a long time ago, and I, I, I would have loved to have just memorized it in English, but I was taking Greek, and so we, the whole class, we had to memorize it in Greek. I took five semesters of Greek in seminary, and it was a joy, and I would, I would quote it for you now um, if I could, but that was a little while ago. I remember the first slide. It's N-R-K and no logos. You, you, maybe some of you know that that word, that's, that is word, it gets confusing. Stay with me. So it says, in the beginning was the word and in the and the word was with god and the word was god and he was with god in the beginning and through all through him all things were made and it says that nothing was made without him that has been made and in him was life and that life was the light of men the light comes to the darkness and the darkness doesn't uh, the, the light shines in the darkness the darkness does not understand it and then it says the true light the light that gives light to every man was coming into the world and then it goes on that though the world was made through him the, the, God made the world. He is the creator. Though the world was made through him, he came to that which was his own. So imagine coming to something you've made, you've created, um, coming to what is your own, and your own do not recognize you. And that's, that's the world we live in. I, I was reminded this week, and I think just living in Manitou, that, that a lot of people do not know the Lord. A lot of people are uh, just... Um, combative when it comes to the things of God. God came into his own world and his own people did not recognize him. And, and then it says, this great piece of hope, it says, but to all who do recognize him, who call upon his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of human descent or of husband's decision, but born of God. And, and, and they, it goes on to say, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we've seen his glory. Of course, it is Jesus so a couple things I, I really want you to see in this passage, a couple things we have to see if we're going to talk about this passage. It's um, a passage we look at and, and get a bunch of theology, to say the least, about who Jesus is. So a few things to note from John 1. The first thing is, of course, that Jesus is the Word. If you read John chapter 1, you read the whole thing, it, it, it goes into this part with that that I asked Justin to leave out because it gets a little confusing. It says that there was a man sent by God. His name was John. That's John the Baptist. And he comes as a witness to testify to the light. He himself was not the light. And then later on, he says, when he's about to baptize Jesus, he says, this is the one whom I said was before me because he came after me. So the first point is that Jesus is the word. We have to get that in, in John chapter one. And then the next sentence says, the word Jesus is kind of like a logical argument. Point two is Jesus was with God in the beginning. So we believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were together. And point number three, very important, is Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this word that becomes flesh was, in fact, God. He, Jesus, we as Christians, our hope is not that, oh, Jesus was just another prophet, uh, uh, one showing the way to God. No, deep in our theological assessment of this verse and the whole Bible, we believe that Jesus was, in fact, God himself and human, one of us. He came and, and was flesh for one of us. So let's talk about this Greek word, word. In Greek, it's logos. And it seems like people really didn't know how to translate it uh, very well into English. And so they called the word logos, 
word. It's like, well, I guess we'll just call it word, which seems to be a pretty good translation because it brings a lot of meaning. It brings a lot of depth. So this word logos, it was used uh, way back in the ancient world, in ancient Greece. It was a philosophical term. Aristotle used it. In fact, we have a quote of Aristotle. Uh, you could put that back up. Aristotle said, Logos makes the private feelings public. It enables the human being to perform as no other animal can. This is what Aristotle said. Um, so Aristotle lived 300 years before Jesus. This word was the, the word Logos. Hopefully I'm not using you by, losing you by saying the word word or Logos, right? Are you with me? Um, so the word word Logos in the Greek I'll just I'll keep saying logos. You're with me now. Um, it performs as no other, makes human beings able to perform as no other animal can. It makes it possible them, for them to perceive and make clear to others their thoughts, feelings, and intentions. So if you have a thought, a feeling, or intention, and you want to convey that to someone else, and they get it, like when they are like, wow, I get what you're saying. Well, that bridge of communication, whatever what was said, whatever hand motions, whatever poem you wrote, whatever, whatever you did, anything you did to, to make that point clear, when they get it, whatever that bridge of communication was, that was the logos. So let me tell you a story. So here's, here's maybe getting the logos wrong. So Erica and I, my wife's here, uh, so we dated uh, quite a few years ago. We've almost been married 10 years, so this is way back uh, when we were dating, um, I really liked her. She really liked me. Uh, she didn't think that I liked her as much as I did, maybe. And so I was talking with her roommate at the time, Stephanie, about purchasing a ring, like the ring, an engagement ring. So I was serious. I was, I was contemplating marriage and, and uh, thinking about being with her for the rest of my life. And I was talking to her roommate, Stephanie, saying, what kind of a ring do you think Erica would like? What size do you think she has? Like, what's her ring finger? And so Stephanie secretively, because we wanted to surprise her, or I wanted to surprise her, and Stephanie wanted to help. So she was like giving Erica different rings. Oh, try this one on. Oh, that's funny. It barely fits. Try this one on. Oh, that one fits perfect. Good to know. Um, and Erica d- didn't get the hints. It was, it was done. Stephanie was genius. She subtly did all these things. Uh, and at that time, um, so I was thinking about marriage. I was buying and saving up for a ring and getting the sizes and what style she liked. At that same time in life, Erica was about to break up with me. Why? Because she thought I wasn't serious at all. She thought I was just fooling around. She thought I wasn't uh, on the same page as her. The logos, the communication bridge, was off. And Stephanie would talk to Erica. Erica would vent to Stephanie. And, and Erica would say, I don't think he likes me. I, I don't think he's on the same page. I don't think he's thinking about marriage. This is, I'm wasting my time. I think I'm going to break up with him. And Stephanie is like, ah, just give him a minute. Give him some time. I think he, he does like you. And she would encourage him, encourage her encourage her to, to, to stay with me for the time being because she knew that, that I knew that I was picking out a ring. And so lo and behold, the day finally came. Uh, we went to uh, Erica's uh, parents' house and, and spent a, a week there. And I got up down on one knee and, on the shore of Lake Superior and presented the ring and asked her to marry me. And she said, yes. <laughs> and then... The logos, the bridge was like, I, she knew that I knew that I loved her and wanted to be married to her and spend the rest of my life with her. In the same way, God, who loves us and wants to be with us and have a relationship with us, wants to tell us just how much he loves us. The bridge of communication, the logos that he uses is 
himself, Jesus. He becomes flesh to tell us just how much he loves us. And it's, it's without confusion. To end confusion, God comes down himself as one of us to end the confusion and show us just how much he loves us. Let me talk about that, um, the ending confusion thing. Because if we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully one of us, a human, he didn't become God, but he became human, one of us, to show us how much he loves us, then that ends the confusion of who God is and what he is trying to do. And so I remember, let me tell you another story. Um, I was in, uh, let's see, this goes back to my seminary days. I took a summer off school, me and two friends, uh, we, we saved up a bunch of money. We worked construction. We moved to Vail, Colorado, and worked uh, through three or four months in the summer. But Vail is expensive to live, so we lived in my van down by the river. And <laughs> we did. We saved up a bunch of money, and then we went traveling all over Southeast Asia for another, I think it was two months of traveling. We went all over the place, and one of the places we ended up, spent almost a month, was in Nepal. We were in Kathmandu. And uh, we were walking around one day and, and buying stuff and, and gear because they have gear for cheap and uh, buying sleeping bags and coats and little things. And we went into this t-shirt shop and the guy recognized one of my friends because he, one of my friends of the three of us, uh, one of us had been to Nepal before and they recognized each other. It's like, oh, you were the guy that bought all those t-shirts a couple years ago. And he's like, wow, you remember it. I remember you. And it was this cool conversation. And of course, in that culture, they say, well, let's have some tea, let's have chai. So we go upstairs, and as we're going upstairs, a little boy goes, so the, the, the guy yells something to this little boy, the boy pew, like runs downstairs, like the boy that was with me, uh, Jay, he's like five, like a five-year-old boy pew, runs downstairs and is back within seconds with tea from, the, he got it from the street somehow, uh, runs back up with tea, sets this tea down, and we have this conversation, it was nice, and it was cordial, and we talked about uh, American politics at the time, this is 14 years ago, and we talked about um, this and that. We talked about Nepal politics, and then we got to talking about religion, and we said that we're all three Christians, and we, we kind of told him what that means to be a Christian. He hadn't met too many Christians before, and he told us that he uh, came from, see, his family was Buddhist, his wife was Hindu, and he was telling us that he really well, just believes in a bunch of different things, and he kind of celebrated confusion, and it was, it was interesting. We just, we just listened. We were polite and cordial in our conversation. But we disagreed because he was saying that, that his religion was kind of a religion of confusion. And he told us this metaphor. He said, imagine there's an elephant and this elephant is God. We're like, okay. And for Hindus, that's not that, that's not that too, too un, un, unusual because they do have a God. Is it Ganesh? Does anyone know? Is, is the elephant looking God? And he said, imagine an elephant. That elephant is God. And I've come to find out that this is kind of a popular analogy or metaphor for celebrating confusion. And so imagine this elephant and there's so, a bunch of blind men touching the elephant, trying to figure out what this elephant is. It's a weird scene, but bear with me. Um, so one blind man is like touching the, the trunk of the elephant. And like, what's this? It must be a snake. So he calls it, it's a snake. Another guy is on the other end of the elephant touching the tail. And he's like, this is, this is a rope. That's what this thing is. Another guy just like runs like, like right into the side of the elephant. And he says, it's a wall. Another guy is off not touching the elephant, but hears like the elephant go, or what a, you, you know what elephants do. Uh, and he says, well, it must be some sort of a dragon. And so all these blind men uh, are saying, oh, these different parts of the elephant. And he said, 
That's how it is with all religion. And we looked at each other like, wait, what? Like, does, first of all, it doesn't make any sense. But second of all, like, it, it, it falls apart on se- se- several levels. Here this guy was uh, celebrating that there's confusion, and that's, that's just how it is. He's celebrating the confusion. And we worship a God who ended the confusion when he came himself to our earth and to our world to show us how much he loves us. Um, thinking about that guy, the, the, the celebrating confusion, we, we thought, well, that analogy breaks down, first of all, it breaks down, just the metaphor breaks down because it's, it's like, here these guys are, they're blind, they're not dumb. Like, couldn't they just walk around and see the other parts of the elephant? And secondly, it, second, secondly, it breaks down because philosophically there's, there's competing, not just competing, but completely contrary religions out there. Like, how can the religion of the Vegas and the Bhavad Gita Hinduism be the, be the same thing as uh, the Quran or Islam? How can the karma of Buddhism, uh, good things come, to, if you do good things, good things will come back to you, how can that be true while at the same time, like the animism of, of African, ancient African religions be true where there's like warring gods and whatever happens, happens because two gods are warring with each other and whichever one wins, well, that's the outcome. How can that be true? How can the Quran be true and the Bible be true? How can all these uh, contradictory things be true? And of course, they can't. The, the, the analogy is a flawed one. It's, it's horribly flawed. We shouldn't celebrate confusion, but we should point people to the God who has come in the past and look forward through the future and hope and believe that he is coming again. There was a, a quote from a, a, a secular uh, theologian. I, I went to a small school in, in Utah, and, and one time there was this small uh, Christian dialogue. It was like a, a Christian apologetics uh, kind of mini-conference, and there were some speakers there, and quite a few of the class attended, and a lot of non-believers attended, and th- this Christian just presented the gospel. He, was an, a, he studied apologetics and presented the gospel in such a way that just, I think it made a, a lot of sense to a lot of people in the room, even though they weren't believers. And at the end was Q&A, and one of the kids uh, in my college stood up. He said, now, I'm not a believer, but, but you're talking about Christianity in ways that I've never heard before. Um, and he, his, the gist of his conversation was, I'm kind of interested. Like, what's next? How do I know who God is? Like, where do I start? And the theologian said very easily, very quickly, he said, if you want to know who God is, you want a starting point, start with Jesus. He is the one who is one of us, a human, fully human, and yet fully God. He didn't become God. He became human and made his dwelling among us so that we could understand him and we could understand who our God is. So our God is coming. We, we celebrate Christmas in, what did I say, 42 days from now. And, and it's this season that we have to, to look forward to his coming again. Let me put up um, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. It, it says this, this. So this is about his second coming. This is just a clear uh, two verses about what it's going to be and uh, that the Lord is coming. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then all who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. He's coming again. That's our hope. And this juxtaposition of 
at the same time looking back and remembering Christ coming in a manger, Christ coming uh, born of a virgin, placed in a manger, thinking back to that, we juxtapose that with looking forward and, and through time and our hope, our great hope is just like he has come. God has come to this earth. He will come again. I really like um, that the song, Joy to the World, you know the song? Has anyone heard it on the radio yet? You will. It's, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Don't worry. Um, Joy to the World is, of course, a, a Christmas song. It's like the best of. It's top ten Christmas songs. It's truly a Christmas song. But if you look at the lyrics, do you see baby Jesus anywhere in there? Nope. Do you see the manger anywhere in there? No. Do you see like the stars or the shepherds or the wise men anywhere in Joy to the World? Nope, you don't see any of those things. Joy to the World is a song not about Jesus' first coming, but about his second coming. It's, it's a, uh, a reflection on Psalm 98. The, the guy that wrote it, uh, Isaac Watts, he wrote over 700 hymns in English. He's, he's the father of English hymns. And that great hymn that we sing, we only sing it around Christmas time. If you started singing it in July, people would really look at you crazy because it's truly a Christmas song. But why is it a Christmas song? Well, it's because what I'm telling you is that as we look back and we see Jesus, the one who has come, we also look forward and we celebrate that the rocks, the hills, the plains will, will repeat the sounding joy and heaven and nature will sing and he will rule the world with truth and joy and grace. And there is this great joy to the world when he comes again. So if you'd bow your head with me in prayer. God, we thank you that, that you are the one who has come, that we, that we look back in history and we, we know that you are the God who robed yourself with flesh, truly became one of us, a human, to show us just how much you love us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, we receive that and we believe that. And Lord, it's, it's in faith that we confess our sins to you. We come clean before you and say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. You are the Holy One. You are the, the Lord, the maker of all things. And Lord, even though you came into the world, that which was your own and your own did not recognize you. Lord, this morning we recognize you. We, we looked expectantly in this season that's about to come, this Christmas season. And we say, Lord, thank you that you have come and that you are coming. You are holy and awesome and good. And we love and praise you. So, Lord, you, you've died, you've risen, and you will come again. If you would stand with me, we're going to say together a prayer of confession uh, in unison. This is a prayer said through centuries of people preparing their hearts for communion, for worship. So if you would say this with me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Truly sorrowly, we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we might delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.